This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. Choo choo. (laughs) (laughs) And on today's episode, we are going to discuss orphans in literature and the divergent paths Harry and Voldemort took, despite both having no parents. And we are joined by one of our Slug Club members today, Sham. Hey, Sham, welcome to the show. Hey, it's uh, great to be here. Let's get your fandom ID. For my favorite book, I'd say it's uh, either Goblet of Fire or Half-Blood Prince. Uh, favorite movie, I think it's Prisoner of Azkaban. Uh, Hogwarts House is Hufflepuff. Overmorny, it took me some uh, time to remember this because uh, like, you can't even find this on your uh, uh, Wizarding World anymore. Or you can't like take the test again. But oh. so, but I think I was Pukwudgie. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I think I was Pukwudgie. And then for Patronus, I think I was a Tigress. My favorite fan, uh, my fan moment, I, I guess, was probably the midnight release of the Deathly Hallows book. Um, it was the first time I'd been to a midnight release, so that was a lot of fun. There was a lot of costume contests and stuff like that. It's either that or uh, one time I sent a letter to J.K. Rowling before the seventh book came out, and I don't know if it was actually her who replied. It might maybe an intern, <laughs> but yeah, I asked her like all about what what's going to happen, like some hints about book seven and stuff like that. So. That was cool. To get and you got a response. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So I, did you frame that? I assume it's it's not framed. It's just somewhere in my uh, in my house, like in storage. So did she spoil the plot for you? No, no. <laughs> she was like, you just have to wait and see. And like, something like that. Oh. <laughs> like, I was asking her, like, are we going to find out if Snape is good or bad? Just like the, the normal questions everyone was thinking about back then. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah. She just wanted to not answer any of that, of course, but. It was so cool. Well, good for you for taking the initiative to write that letter, and then you got a response. So that's that's very cool. Good yep. for you. By the way, Sham, how long have you been in the fandom? Uh, for a long time, since I was maybe like seven or eight is when I my parents got me the uh, uh, the first four books, I think, were out at the time. And uh, the first one I was waiting for was Order of the Phoenix. So yeah, I've been a fan for a while. You know, fun fact, I've had the MuggleCast email forwarding to my personal Gmail for like ever. And I found emails from you dating back to 2009 as a listener, MuggleCast listener. Yeah, you were writing in when you were 12 years old. Jeez. (laughs) We should actually respond to those. We should actually go in. (laughs) We'll finally respond to them now. Yeah, I think I was a little disappointed that I never got a response back then. Yeah, (laughs) probably. I wouldn't blame you. I mean, J.K. Rowling responded to you, but we didn't. What's up with that? (laughs) I I think I started listening to MogoCast around like 2008. Like, I, I remember the first one I listened to was like the one year anniversary of book seven coming out. And you were talking about like... Just like um, how it's already been a year or something like that. So yeah, like 11 years or 12 years. Yeah. Nice. Well, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. And thanks for your longtime support, both listening and on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Yep. So let's move to Muggle Mail now. A lot of people wrote in about our fantasy casting episode last week. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Chew, chew. (laughs) (laughs) Chew to the chew. Here is uh, a great email from Amy. She writes, hi, all. I would like to add one casting cameo for the HPTV series at Bill and Fleur's wedding when Fred and George are telling Harry how much fun Uncle Billius was at parties. I would love a quick flashback scene of Conan O'Brien downing that bottle of fire whiskey (laughs) and running out to on the dance floor to pull flowers out of his. Well, they never actually say. I was also thinking of uh, Rupert Grint as Arthur Weasley and nearly cheered out loud at work when you said the same. Thanks for an awesome podcast. I have to say, when I found it, if I felt like I found my people. Yes. Oh, great. Conan O'Brien in a Harry Potter TV series. (laughs) He's ginger. Isn't he ginger? How did we miss that, you guys? (laughs) 
but he's also American. And oh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I see that. But yeah, also hair dye is a thing. So I don't think that we need to discriminate on Weasley family casting based on whether they're natural gingers or not. Oh, I know. I was joking. <laughs> I just think that's a fun requirement that we should make anyway. <laughs> I mean, but James and Oliver have Phelps, right? Like they're they're not. Exactly. Oh, they're, they're not ginger. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, Conan fits that tall, lanky description very well. So true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm all for this. <laughs> all right. Our next piece of mail comes from Fiona. Fiona says, listening to the TV casting episode, I'm wondering who you'd want as the female sorting hat. I do think the sorting hat should be female. The sorting hat voice could also do the previously on Harry Potter and or any narrator voice if needed. Also, who would you want to do the theme tune or soundtrack? This is Mm. an interesting idea. I love, you know, what I love about the idea of a Harry Potter TV show is the opportunity for unknown casting. Like, there are so many of these roles. Of course, we picked out actors that kind of, you know, fit the roles in our heads, but. It's entirely possible much of this cast could be made up of unknown actors. And I think the Sorting Hat voice could easily fall into that category, too. And I love the idea of a female Sorting Hat. I would like, if it's not female, I would like Micah to be the voice of the Sorting Hat. (laughs) He's an unknown. (laughs) He's got a deep voice. He would make your head rumble when he's speaking. You can just go (laughs) choo-choo. You need an iconic choo-choo Hufflepuff for you. (laughs) Now, these these are good questions. We didn't really think about the sorting hat. We probably should have, as well as the the theme song. I mean, I think most likely they would keep with Hedwig's theme, but who would be the ones? Kind of like our open. I like that open to a TV show. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know who does the score for His Dark Materials, but... I really like it. So I think that would be a good starting point. All right. Next email. Yeah. The next email comes from Jeff, Jeffrey, who says, you guys came up with some great casting choices in the last episode. I just had a few quick thoughts to add. I think Eva Green or Margot Robbie would be the perfect Bellatrix Lestrange. Both actresses have range and a penchant for playing a whole lot of pretty and a whole lot of crazy. Second point, someone said something about Jennifer Lawrence playing Molly Weasley. Hope that was a joke, uh, which made me think (laughs) of Jennifer Saunders. Uh, She's got a similar look to Julie Walters, and she's got a nice, easy, comfy tone to her voice. Uh, I did take a look at Jennifer Saunders. I agree. She does look a lot like Julie Walters. Uh, And then finally, uh, if Rebel Wilson absolutely has to be attached to this project, wow, we're getting slammed across the board. Man. I think she'd be a good candidate for the Welcome Witch at St. Mungo's Hospital for Magical Maladies and Injuries. She's got the right kind of sarcastic edge to her character. Well, just to be clear, only Micah and Eric's choices are getting slammed. Mine and Laura's (laughs) choices are appreciated. Yeah, actually, Jennifer Saunders, I had not thought of her, but I think she would be perfect. I don't know if y'all have ever seen anything she was in. I grew up watching Absolutely Fabulous, which is a Britcom that she was in. Um, so on top of, you know, having a good amount of range, she's also very funny and it would be interesting to see how they could expand on her character's interactions with Fred and George. Mm-hmm. I like this Margot Robbie suggestion too for Bellatrix. You know, uh, going back to the Sorting Hat casting real quick, I had to find the actress's name, but I was watching her on Broadchurch recently, uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste. She's got a really great voice. Oh, she's in, good in that show. Yeah, she's real. She's English. She's real, real good in the show. I would love her to be the sorting hat. For Jennifer Saunders, uh, the, this might date me, but the only uh, thing I remember her in is Shrek 2. So. <laughs> <laughs> if, if it okay. dates you, if saying that dates you, it probably dates us all. because It dates I, you yeah. in a good way, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're younger than all of us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next email is from Abby. I was listening to your episode and you cast David Beckham as Ludo Bagman. Greg Davies seems like the perfect fit for me in looks and personality. He is hilarious and has a jovial demeanor that Ludo obviously does as well. He has the belly that Ludo has and his face is how I picture Ludo's. He also has a carelessness and childlike ignorance that is key to Ludo's character. 
Awesome. Also, Adam Driver just seems like he was born to play Snape. <laughs> yeah, we got a a lot of emails about uh, Adam Driver playing Snape. Oh yep. wow! Yeah, Fan I can't favorite. believe we missed that. Uh, Greg Davies is amazing, an amazing casting choice from Abby. I know him as the host of Taskmaster, a great British TV series, um, kind of game show type thing. I like that. That's a very inspired kind of thing. And Chum, sorry, I should have given you a head up, heads up, but do you want to read this last email? Yeah, sure. This one comes from Amy. Love the idea of a Harry Potter TV show, but I think it should be on a free network such as ABC, NBC, CBS, etc. since I only have antenna and don't have cable. It could even be on like Amazon streaming since you can watch it on a fire stick. I don't make enough money to pay for the TV show to be on a station such as HBO like y'all have been talking about. Plus, I think Kate Winslet could play Rowena Ravenclaw. That is a good choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing about this inevitable series is we feel like it's going to be on a streaming platform because that's where all the competition is right now. That's where all the big projects are. Mm-hmm. That said, a lot of these shows actually do end up on DVD or Blu-ray. So maybe that could be a solution for you, Amy. I know Netflix has released a bunch of, of their shows on physical disc over the years to reach those people who don't have streaming because there are plenty of people uh, just like you who don't. So mm-hmm. I have a somebody I've been mulling over that I would really like cast in this show, um, but he has such a variety of range in his um, filmography that I'm like not sure where to place him. So I want to ask our listeners, what role do you think Joe Morton would be good for? Um, You would recognize him as Olivia Pope's dad from Scandal. Uh, Also Miles Dyson from Terminator 2. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He's just, he's so good. And I feel like he needs to be in the show. So help me figure out where we cast him. Olivia. Olivia, <laughs> Olivia. <laughs> That's my impression of him on Scandal. That was pretty bad, but what? <laughs> okay, fine. Um, okay. How about Dumbledore? Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, awesome, Harry. Absolutely awesome, Harry. Can <laughs> <laughs> you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Yeah. <laughs> Old age. He said calmly. <laughs> it's time to hear from this week's sponsor, Beachbody On Demand. So. Look, at least here in the United States, coronavirus is going nowhere and you're going to be continuing to spend extra time at home and social distancing and extra avoiding germs until next year. Be good to your body and mental well-being during all of this by checking out Beachbody On Demand. They are the easy-to-use streaming service that gives you instant access to over 1,300 super effective workouts and they're suited for anybody at any time. The secret to getting results is getting started. Once you try Beachbody On Demand, you're going to notice you're feeling better. You're going to be like, wow, I actually feel alive and I feel like I did something good for myself because your blood is pumping. You're going to be feeling good. Beachbody On Demand lets you achieve your goals from the comfort and safety of home, and it is much cheaper than a gym membership. They've got so many great workout programs, but I've been really enjoying this new workout lately called Muscle Burns Fat, which focuses on strength training. Workouts are as short as 10 minutes, and they don't require extra equipment, so they're easy to fit into your day. There are programs that can work for any experience level, whether you're just getting started or you've been working out for a while. I really want you to try Beachbody On Demand because I know firsthand these workouts work well, and this is the solution to avoiding a germy gym. Just start with smaller workouts if you don't already have a fitness routine, and I promise you, you're going to be feeling better right after your first workout. It's the post-workout high, not the bodybuilding. That's why I've been addicted to working out since high school, and I'm sure many uh, people will attest I am no bodybuilder. Right now, our listeners can get a special free trial membership when you text MuggleCast to 303030. That's so easy to do. So do it right now. You will get full access to this entire platform for free. All the workouts, the nutrition information and support absolutely free. Again, just text MuggleCast to 303030. Okay, it's time for our discussion. Yes. Super, super, super exciting. So we were discussing... Neville and Harry a couple episodes ago, Lamar was talking, I was like, hmm, there is another connection that we could explore further. And it's that both 
Neville and Harry are orphans, but also there's orphans uh, in literature. It's it's super, super, super popular to have a, a hero or a main character who has been orphaned. So it's like, ah, oh, we got to build a discussion about that. But, you know, pretty much through fairy tales, literature, you get Cinderella, uh, Oliver Twist. Orphans just show up really, really commonly. And also in superhero origin stories, Batman's an orphan. Superman is an orphan. He's raised by foster parents on Earth. Peter Parker, James Bond, Captain America. So, it, you know, it just there's so, so many orphans. I had like I tried to wrap my brain around. Why is it that there are so many orphans across literature? And what's what exactly is appealing about the the orphan origin story that the author is like, yes, I need to do this. And then, Andrew, you found kind of an article that touches on this. Yeah, it answers that question exactly. At least the author of this article tries to. Um, she shares a few different reasons why authors might make their lead character an orphan. For example, out of convenience, how can a child realistically put themselves in danger with their parents waiting for them at home? So they just oh. take the parents out of the picture and then there's no problem. <laughs> Another reason is to develop the characters because killing their parents is a pretty good example of a traumatic experience. Orphans are also used as a plot device because without it, the plot would be completely altered, as is the case with Harry Potter. They're also done for mystery and suspense. The author of this article writes, our protagonists usually don't know much about their parents, and this opens up a world of secrets waiting to be written. And then finally, because family. Orphans emphasize the meaning of family. The author says, children's novels are filled with messages of love and forming relationships. Orphans are often alone at the beginning of their story and slowly find a home among others. And that's definitely mm-hmm. in, the case, in the case of Harry Potter. I was going to say, yeah, which, which reason or reasons do we think appealed to Joe? Like when she set out to write a mystery, uh, is this, is she's like, oh, Harry won't know who he is. And that's because he won't have his parents to tell him. Let's not all also forget JK Rowling's work within this space to begin with, right? She creates this charity called Lumos, which is all about, you know, serving this particular community. Uh, of children. And I think that there was an appeal right away um, because something within her, you know, drew her to this idea of, of, a, of a young boy who didn't know that he had these powers within him. And then yet, you know, he's, he's also an orphan. I, I, the other piece I would just add is I think, and, and this may not be the right word to use, but I think there's a sympathetic piece to it, right? As a reader, we we are automatically drawn into the fact that this character is isolated in a way and they're somehow you know kind of fighting back against the world and i think there's something that immediately will pull us in as a reader because of that i agree with that as i was thinking about sort of the why behind this at least why do orphan narratives appeal to so many of us and i think it's because even though we may not be orphans ourselves we have at some point in our lives felt isolated and alone. So we can relate to a limited extent to how that feels. And, you know, using a book like Harry Potter as a vessel, it can empower us to feel like we're fighting back, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thinking about this topic really made me think, well, what what did my like parents give me like growing up with my parents what do you get from parents that perhaps somebody um with no parents would 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 miss and i'm like well parents gave me um a sense of identity uh, it's like who who am i i am their child um definitely a morality there's sort of this is right and this is wrong these are the things that you that you sort of learn and and anybody can i think be a parent to a foster child, like surrogate parents, foster parents, aunts and uncles, grandparents, whoever's raising the kid can all provide this as well. Um, but with an orphan, in especially if you're writing the story, you can have a lot of those questions be answered that way. You can have like a, a character with a shaky morality because they just haven't been taught. So I wanted to ask, what are some other orphans that we know of in literature that we uh, also like regularly consume 
and you guys came up with a pretty good list. I think um, we were talking about this game just before recording, uh, Link in The Legend of Zelda. Oh. I wasn't sure, and then I had to Google it to be sure, but yeah, he has always been an orphan, I think, in the large majority of video games, and thinking about this list that I just read off, I think part of it is out of convenience because if he doesn't have his parents in the way he can go out all over Hyrule and do whatever he wants without any <laughs> without any parents saying hey come home mm-hmm. don't defeat Gandalf <laughs> right but you also with Link have that one overarching question that I feel like has never been answered which is does he really have family out there what is Zelda to him is is she a sister Zelda's family is she I don't know at the end of Breath of the Wild it got a little hot and heavy i'm just gonna say like didn't know what was gonna happen between those two in that cutscene. oh do you mm. think there's like a luke skywalker princess for leia, leia relationship yeah you never know too that's the, that's the other thing where the the themes are, are are borrowed from right maybe one of the uh main developers on zelda is a huge star wars fan <laughs> which that's another huge orphan story by the way luke and leia both you know raised without knowing their parents like their real lineage there yeah, and I was also thinking about um, Anna and Elsa in the Frozen movies. They That's a huge plot yeah. point in both of the movies. Um, their parents died in a shipwreck, I think, and that basically forms reason for their detachment and or Anna and Elsa's separation in the first movie, at least. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because I wanted to complain about that for a second. Disney relies on the dead parent trope so (laughs) heavily all the time. You think about the Lion King, you think about Finding Nemo, Bambi, I mean... Tarzan, too. Tarzan, Dumbo. The Jungle Book. Jungle Book. Dead parents everywhere. (laughs) It's it's a little out of control. They got to come up with other ideas. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like that, you know, Moana is a good example um, of someone whose parents are still very much living. But yeah. doesn't um, her grandmother but, die in that movie? Yeah. Her grandfather? Yeah. Grandmother, yeah. <sighs> yeah. I, I think that's a little more in line with like the natural <laughs> like Fair. progression of life. Though. Yeah. Death, any, any story about life should probably at some point have space reserved to talk about death because it's part of the... The cycle, like these stories to the point where they exist to teach us about ourselves and our environment. Uh, and, and, you know, J.K. Rowling has really said death permeates her her books as a as as a theme. So if you look at that, then it makes sense that our hero, Harry, was introduced to it at an early age. Mm-hmm. It was kind of, you know, an interesting thing. And then, Laura, you had a really good. Uh, yeah. So. I, I base this off my most recent interaction with a piece of media that really impacted me. And that's Ellie from Last of Us um, 1 and 2. Ellie's orphaned at a young age when her mother dies during, you know, effectively a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and um, she's carrying a very big secret um, that you you don't find out about super early on. And that really determines her character trajectory for the rest of the series and it's just these are beautifully done games and you should play them <laughs> um i like after i finished last of us 2 i was in my feelings for like a week so <laughs> nice yeah and if ellie if ellie had her parent or if her mom you know showed up out of the blue she might be able to help her with what she's going through <laughs> emotionally yeah. or like you know what happened to her that made her the main character of this series might have never happened. Yeah. A couple that came to mind for me, just thinking about it now and and tying it to uh, Song of Ice and Fire, you have Daenerys Targaryen, who is orphaned. Ah. You also have Jon Snow, who once you learn the truth about him, he isn't orphaned as well. So, uh, you know, you have really the two main characters of that entire series who are orphans. And again, it's always interesting to see why is it that the writer, the author takes this path? Well, I think to an extent we can argue that everyone in Game of Thrones at some point becomes an orphan. (laughs) (laughs) Like all the Stark children too. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, that's a fair point, Laura. Womp womp. 
Yeah. <laughs> I was also going to mention one uh, one more is uh, in the movie Shazam. Uh, uh, Billy Batson is also an orphan. Um, at least in the comics, he's more of an orphan. In the movie, his mom ends up just abandoning him oh, and geez. not wanting him anymore because she thinks the foster system can take care of him better. So, oh, gosh. Hmm. I remember a movie I watched as a kid that had orphans was Angels in the Outfield with oh. Joseph oh, Gordon yeah. Levitt yeah. Uh, and Danny Glover. And, and that's all about sort of definitely theme- thematically related to what we're going to talk about later but uh switching gears real quickly what does being an orphan give harry and you say when i think of like especially young harry i think of like isolation and almost like a sort of comfort from the isolation so you know like harry harry has his friends with the spiders in the cupboard but he (laughs) he really learns to keep to himself like i don't know he develops a sort of okayness with 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 being on his own, I think most of the time, I think he's lonely, but yeah, there's, there's like a, what's the word? Like an independence about yeah. him. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, from years and years of being tormented by Dudley, yeah. he's also given, you know, a bit of a hard outer shell. So when it comes to his early interactions with Draco Malfoy, he's not particularly shaken by them. His approach is just to sort of disengage <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm just going <laughs> to avoid that one. Right. I think it also gives him a reason to get out there, go into the wizarding world and search for answers. Hmm. If he knew about his parents, I think he would have been less propelled to kind of go on this journey. With each book, there are more reasons for him to continue searching for answers about his parents and his his family history. That's a good point. I think that that aligns with, to the whole discovery of the wizarding world is really also a search backwards to who his parents were because his parents were these great renowned witch and wizard right Mm -hmm. and to an extent who he is too because his identity was stolen from him by the dursleys you know he doesn't get that back until hagrid first you know kicks down that door (laughs) um You know, and so he's just as much as he's learning about who his parents were and the truth behind what happened to them. He's learning that for himself, too. And it gives him reason to defeat Voldemort because he wants to avenge his parents. Ah, yeah. Yeah. I would say it gives him a a sense of independence, too. And that independence shows up throughout the series. But particularly in the earlier years, there's a sense of recklessness. And I think... Because now he's been given this freedom that he didn't have previously. He's just willing to go out there and and try and do anything without being as guarded maybe as somebody who was raised by, let's say, Molly and Arthur Weasley. I like that you bring up the adventurousness because like Harry takes great pride when somebody tells him he looks like James or like he can ride a broom and James was like great at Quidditch. Um, like Harry really swells with pride, not only for identifying like uh, who it, like, he's similar to his dad, which who wouldn't like to hear that, but also it kind of he's good on a broom because his dad was good on a broom. There's like a genetic component there that's like really interesting too. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I mean, it really is like looking in a mirror, right? Like we see at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban, Harry for a short period of time believes that he saw his dad casting the Patronus charm to cast away the Dementors. Yeah. Yeah. And I I remember in particular uh, the owl's uh, memory sequence when Harry is actually straight up looking at his dad from like eight inches away. And he's, he says, mm-hmm. he notes, you know, the similarities. So how would the story be different if he wasn't an orphan? If Lillian James had raised Harry, what's, what's the, what, what are all the differences do we think that we would see in his character? You might be more spoiled. Do we, <laughs> spoiled. Do we think so? Do we? Yeah. Do we? Well, his parents don't... did have a lot of money, but I mean, they wouldn't spoil him in the way that the, the Dursleys, Dursleys yeah. spoiled their son. Yeah. yeah. Serious yeah. would though. It's like he was sending him gifts when he was uh, I can see that. a couple months old. Yeah. Serious yeah. would. Serious would be the first guy to give Harry like a cigarette. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know what, That's true. Didn't we all have that like? onto your uncle figure yes. who did that for us mm-hmm. i wish I, I feel like that's <laughs> i feel like that's healthy to a certain extent i mean if people are overstepping their bounds and 
I think I would argue Sirius does throughout the short period of time we see him in the books. He's not always the best influence for Harry. So it would be interesting. Yeah, but he wouldn't have gone to jail like. and spent his, you know, his formative years in behind bars in Azkaban. He would have been able to It would have been different. Yeah, exactly. Um yeah. to layer on to your question though, Eric, um I- I'm kind of curious how Harry would have interacted with Ron and Hermione initially, if he hadn't grown up an orphan, we we very much look at the Weasleys as being his surrogate family. You know, Molly's really the mother that he never had. Ron, Fred, and George are his brothers, and we look at the Burrow really as being home for Harry. I don't know that they would appeal to him in the same way, nor would they appeal to the reader in the same way. Well, right, because Ron and Hermione were outcasts in their own way. And Harry was too. And if Harry was not an outcast, if he didn't lose his parents, if he wasn't the chosen one, how would he relate to Ron and Hermione? Really kind of interesting. And would, I mean, I think Lillian James would have socialized Harry with other wizards. Maybe not all purebloods. I think there'd be like some half-blood families, but if they're living in Godric's Hollow, which is purported to be this huge wizarding community, Harry would definitely already have friends by age 11. So uh, I... Yeah, okay. I think Harry, uh, by virtue of being an orphan, chooses to be an outcast because we see walking into the wizarding world, he's walking in with all of this star power that he didn't know he had. It's very much like Dumbledore says throughout the books, like it's our choices that define who we are. And we see early on in the series, Harry could have gone down a path of celebrity right? Like Mm -hmm. Draco Malfoy extends that invitation to him to sort of be part of that like cultish, Mm -hmm. like snot nosed, you know, wizarding society. (laughs) And he chooses not to. And I think that's because it this is all new to him. And he feels like an outcast just stepping into this space that he has no historical knowledge of. And he doesn't know anything about his family. I don't think that that means Harry wouldn't have socialized with Ron and Hermione had this horrible fate not befallen him. But I don't know that circumstances would have like aligned the stars to allow it to happen in the way that it did. Right. On the train when Harry first meets Ron, I feel like that whole scenario would have gone completely different because... Uh, he would have already had like uh, pure blood friends or not necessarily pure blood, but other prominent families. So he would already be sitting with them and they probably would never have even had that connection early on. Or who knows? Harry's parents knew the Weasleys. Oh yeah, that's true. So who knows? Maybe they would have been close. Did they? I, I mean, forget I get that. I always forget that. Yeah. I, I could not see Lily and James, only having friends based on, you know, blood status. Let's also be real here. There would be no story without them dying. So I mean, <laughs> no, it would be a happy school age tale of Harry running around Hogwarts in the invisibility cloak. Who's the antagonist? Draco? <laughs> uh, Lockhart? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, the book series does open with Harry becoming an orphan. Mm. Um, but actually, so Micah blew my mind. We were I was uh, coming up with this uh, topic uh, and Micah was like, well, if we're talking about orphans, you should talk about Voldemort. And I did a double take and I was like, holy crap, Voldemort is also an orphan in Harry. But I don't know why it didn't like occur to me. But of course, we see we see the orphanage. We see, you know, Voldemort's uh, parents or would be and and how that all comes together. Let's talk about Voldemort a little mm, bit here. Yeah. because OK, so they're they're both orphans. But but they're they're and they're, and one is the hero and one is the villain of this story. So how how is that for like storytelling, right there? It's it's also worth noting too though that that Voldemort or Tom Riddle at the time right had a hand in ensuring that he was going to remain an orphan, in that oh. he you know he kills his father, but. At the time, you know, yes, he, 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 his mom dies in childbirth and he's sent to the orphanage. And it is really interesting to see how he grows and develops versus somebody like Harry. And because mm-hmm. Voldemort, 
or or Tom Riddle could have turned out just the same as Harry, or Harry could have turned out just the same as Tom. It, 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 so because let's face it, Harry isn't treated great at all, right? right? So is it something? I, I think this is kind of getting to a question Laura has in here, which is: Is it something inherent in the person that you just can't? control or change that's there from birth well and another factor as a chicken soup will remind us later voldemort was born out of a love potion so his existence was forced it wasn't made out of love whereas james and lily you know they loved each other when they conceived harry (laughs) presumably so i think that's a key difference and also a key difference is their upbringings even though Harry was brought up in the Dursleys' home, it was still worlds better than what Tom Riddle was going through. Yeah, we're we're meant to believe that 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 is the case. I I always question, but but Jake Rowling did say, and and I think you could find it on Accio Quote too. But she actually admits that as a result of being conceived under the love potion, Voldemort is completely blind to some of those finer parts of of humanity, like like love, and that that seems to really excuse the whole you know, a lot of his behavior, a lot of mm-hmm. what his choices are um, throughout the, the book series. But, and yet the books do consciously compare Harry to Tom Riddle quite a lot. And if you really think about it, like what do they have in common? What does young Tom Riddle have with, with school-aged Harry? And I think they really are both, again, going back to being independent, going back to being able to handle uh, tasks and and sort of follow your own personal ambitions. I mean, Harry has Ron and Hermione, but he still goes off on his own quite a lot. Um, and he's he's definitely sort of always he keeps his own counsel, I guess you could say. But so mm-hmm. does Tom Riddle. Yeah, I have a question for the panel. Before Dumbledore shows up and invites Tom Riddle to Hogwarts, is there ever a point in his young life where somebody has given him a chance before this? Like, I think about, you know, this nature versus nurture debate, and I'm totally willing to accept that in the, you know, the magical world, if, you know, conception is forced through a love potion, that that would lay the groundwork for things in this person's life not to work out terribly well. But it seems like from the moment baby Tom Riddle was accepted at the orphanage, they were always kind of freaked out by him. And I feel like that creates this like negative feedback loop of like, they've already communicated their expectations for him. And so it's just the self-fulfilling prophecy time and time again. So maybe if somebody had given him a chance and like tried to nurture him when he was much younger, it wouldn't have turned out as bad. I'm not saying he still wouldn't have been a sociopath, but like maybe he would have been more of like a functioning one. Right. Cause he would have been thinking somebody believes in me. Somebody right. wants to see me grow. And like, at least Harry, he had that in Arabella fig, right? Like she used to, he used to hang out with her when the Dursleys would go on trips. And even though her food wasn't particularly good, <laughs> he never seemed to mind her company because she was always kind to him. Yeah. That's that's definitely pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and and I don't think, you know, when we talk about how Tom Riddle went bad and why he went bad, which is something that really excites me based on today's discussion. I also think of like, I don't think the orphanage was especially neglectful to him. I just think the whole like, I don't blame people like Mrs. Cole for or is it Ms. Cole, Miss Cole, Mrs. Cole for, um, you know, not attending to or like keeping a, a, a distance because i think the way he gained that reputation initially was based on his behaviors but i just think the whole orphanage thing is that there were so many other kids to look after that he just was never given the individualized attention like i don't actually blame the orphanage for being like actively um complicit in like Fundamentally, I think that it was just because there's so many kids like by design, you can't give that kind of special attention that that Harry gets with people. Yeah, I agree. I just think back to um, what Mrs. Cole says about like, even when he got here and he was a baby, he never cried. And in my head, that got me thinking like, 
oh, were they like freaked out by him from the moment he arrived? You know, and even as a kid, I mean, I'm sure we all have memories. Kids are super perceptive and they know when people don't like them. I think that's probably what it was that if if people actually decided to take an interest in baby Tom Riddle and like nurture him a little bit because uh, I feel like I I don't know if, if I remember this right but I think a lot of the kids just ended up bullying him so if yeah if one person ended up taking an interest in him it might have ended up differently for him so I asked my friends who have a podcast a popcorn psychology podcast they're psychologists I was like hey guys is there something going on with orphans not in general like you know I just said is there an emotional I began to seek uh, kind of just from a mental health standpoint, is there a reason that babies don't cry? Because I was thinking about that quote about Voldemort not crying. And they suggested I look up something called reactive attachment disorder. And this is by no means a a, a wide sweeping uh, diagnosis for, for, for children or orphans. I, I want to be very clear about that. But looking up what this disorder is uh, actually really inspired me and may answer some of these questions about Voldemort at a young age. So basically, like we were saying about Voldemort maybe not having individualized attention given to him, specifically in the first year of life, there's this bond that traditionally forms between infants and their parents. Um, whenever a baby cries, the child learns that they can rely on their parent for nourishment, for change of diaper, for all of this stuff. And if they are neglected or if they don't receive this, then their entire uh, sort of ability to trust or the the relationship between, well, they just call it attachments. The the attachments don't happen. And so it's, it's a pretty interesting phenomenon to look at Tom Riddle under the lens of. Is this just a movieism, or when uh, Dumbledore goes to the orphanage, you know, he is he gets Tom to go to Hogwarts. I mean, there's somebody who believes in him. Yeah, was it just too late? Well, and that's and that's a great question. So, according to DSM five, which is the book on mental health, here's reactive attachment disorder. Uh, those who suffer from it experience a or establish a consistent pattern of inhibited, emotionally withdrawn behavior toward adult caregivers manifested by both of the following. The child rarely minimally seeks comfort when distressed, and the child rarely or minimally responds to comfort when distressed. So here you've got this relationship between young Tom Riddle not really caring about the adults in the orphanage. And in fact, doesn't he tell Dumbledore, they think I'm crazy, or they think I'm like, I did it. He's like very averse Mm. to the, the local adults. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, here is uh, a what people with this disorder display, uh, persistent social or emotional disturbance characterized by at least two of the following, minimal social and emotional responsiveness to others, limited positive effect, and episodes of unexplained irritability, sadness, or fearfulness that are evident during non-threatening interactions. So kind of cagey, kind of seeming cagey, and... You know, it just kind of really hits home for me that perhaps, you know, something like this is what J.K. Rowling was getting at with this character. Like, here's a guy who just he never responded well to adults if they cared for him. We don't know. But he was always just withdrawn and he ended up just not caring much about attachments. Like Dumbledore says, the adult grown Voldemort doesn't really have a friend. He has followers, mm-hmm. but no friends. Yeah, and to answer your question, Andrew, like by the time Dumbledore came, was it too late? Um, just I'm not a social worker. I don't have a background in social work, um, but I know a couple of social workers. And through having discussions with them, there really is a critical period in the young development of children that can make it really difficult to come back from neglect and abuse Um, And Mm -hmm. definitely by the time someone's 11 years old, if they haven't been giving, if they haven't been nurtured at all, that would be, it would be very difficult to bounce back from that. Mm -hmm. I know I mentioned uh, Lumos earlier, but but I do think it, it is important to just note the fact that 
there's probably a message that J.K. Rowling is trying to send, um, just given all the work that she has done of fighting for kids in orphanages around the world to be reunited with families, that you look at Voldemort, who was raised in an orphanage, and you see what he becomes. And that's not to say that everybody raised in an orphanage becomes Voldemort. I just think that there's a subtext there from J.K. Rowling, especially when you compare that to Harry, where even though Harry is treated terribly by the Dursleys, he's still in a home. He still has family. And you mentioned Fig too, that he goes to on occasion. He's still getting out into the world. He's going to school, as bad as that might be for him. (laughs) It's just different situations. But I do think that J.K. Rowling is trying to send a message there. Yeah. And Dumbledore notes this too, when he's talking to Harry about when he first arrived at Hogwarts, he says something, and I'm just paraphrasing, but he's like, you didn't arrive as happy as I would have hoped, but you know, you were healthy. And so, you know, at least kind of to Eric's point about reactive attachment disorder, you know, there was a minimal level of care that was being given to Harry at the Dursleys. Um, we can definitely say that it was not adequate in terms of nurturing Harry's, you know, emotional growth. Um, but still, like there was somebody around to change his diapers. There was somebody around who provided exactly. sustenance, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Here's two more. Uh, just wrapping up on the disorder part. Um, here's two more quotes that I, I'd like to uh, include. So. Children with this disorder often resort to negative behaviors like manipulation, isolation, aggression, lying, stealing, and harming themselves or others. These are all dis- these are all things that Tom Riddle and the orphanage is displayed uh, to be doing. And we know that Tom Riddle's gift at manipulation follows him throughout his whole years at Hogwarts. Um, and then the honestly, here's a little hope: light at the end of the tunnel with treatment. Um, for RAD, children with reactive attachment disorder may develop more stable and healthy relationships with caregivers and others. Uh, you know, there's some counseling involved and it, it it can be sort of resolved. So if Voldemort had been given or if young Tom Riddle had been given more of a chance or if, or if something like this, if something like behavioral health had been known in the fifties, you know, there, I think there may have still been hope for him despite the whole love potion, uh, conception kind of thing. What blew my mind about it also, just in in, in closing, is that uh, the disorder is really developed in the first year of life. So the whole, you know, changing diapers and forming eye contact with your, your parent happens in the first year of life. For the first year of life, Harry had his parents. Harry actually right. was was mm-hmm. was one uh, you know, when when his parents died, one in two or three months. So he actually got the Lillian James I'm assuming unfettered, complete love experience, whereas Voldemort from day one was in the orphanage. Yeah. And so I think that alone separates them. They're both orphans, but it, it there's a year difference between them. And I think that that may psychologically explain why they both turned out the way they did. Harry got what he needed before he tragically lost his parents, whereas Voldemort didn't. So to end this discussion, I thought it'd be fun to kind of go through just various other, I know we already said some orphans, but what could like let's go through other pop culture orphans because we we've barely scraped the surface. Like what uh why did their creators choose to make them orphans? And you know, what does it give them? So the, the first one I think of is Batman. Like he is always alone, brooding in his cave, uh, because his parents are dead and he's on a venge kick, venge revengeance kick. Uh, kick but also his parents who would normally tell him right from wrong the whole morality thing i was talking about earlier he's able to become a caped and masked vigilante partly because there's no parents to be like no you shouldn't do that (laughs) so right and because they're loaded and he's inherited their fortune so he's like cool i'm gonna go like in this cave and tool up a bunch of really cool technology so i can take these villains out yeah yeah, yeah, so it's it's kind of neat that that to have Batman be <laughs> be similar to Harry Potter. It's kind of <laughs> become a running joke at this point. You mentioned him being brooding, and you know Batman's very dark, at least in the recent versions of him. Um, and 
I, I think people have come to really like that about Batman. That's his thing. He's emo. Yeah. And it's in part because he lost his parents. I think yeah. I mean, that's I think pretty justified. Right. It, it's no, I know. a motivating factor for him. One of the things that just kind of came to mind in, in looking through a lot of them is that you know it, it also removes a vulnerability because let's say Bruce Wayne becomes Batman anyway, their parents then become targets, right? And that that can be true, you know, with Harry, obviously Ron, Hermione, everybody he cares about becomes targets. But in that initial moment, there, you know, it's not like you can go that route. I just feel like, you know, it becomes something that whoever or whatever these people are fighting against could use as as an advantage if if they were able to capture yeah. or. That's like the whole, you, just, you, know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You just made me realize, uh, made me remember rather that Hermione kind of orphans herself yeah. mm-hmm. in book seven mm-hmm. for this exact reason. That's such a teenager thing to do. I don't need you my know, parents. She, <laughs> I mean, she unorphans herself later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're told it's, it's also the <laughs> Peter Parker, Spider-Man kind of orphaning, like, like any, anybody will be used against me kind of, he's not wrong. Mm-hmm. What's interesting there, though, it's that it's his uncle's death that motivates him to become Spider-Man, right? Ultimately, well, you know, yeah, he already lost his mom and pop, and it's his uncle's death. It's like this is one too many. I'm I'm done. I'm <laughs> becoming a superhero now. It's kind of like Luke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. His 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 aunt Brew and Uncle Owen's death really allows him to uh, to go off and and freeze him from the confines of their moisture farm. Uh, another superhero here, Superman. And Superman's a guy who, like, I think a great opportunity is he's kind of a blank slate. Like, he's he's this alien with this immense backstory. It's going to give him super strength and all this culture and all this origin. But as a kid, as a baby, he's raised on Earth by Americans to really sell the whole American dream of an alien literally, but also from elsewhere, can become an American and uphold American values um, better than all the rest. That that the story of America is an immigrant story. And if, if um, you know, and then the connection back to just being an orphan, not knowing who you are, but finding your purpose in specifically a country. There's such a lot of political leaning about the early like superman because he's it's it's truth justice and the american way one thing i want to add about superman is uh there was a a radio serial that got uh, adapted into a comic recently about um when the kkk was uh really prominent in like the 40s um they would see superman as like their idol and they uh dc made this comic that was about uh, Superman protecting Chinese American immigrants oh, from the KKK. Yes. Hmm. I really love that story, and it really showed me that Superman isn't Superman is for like the downtrodden and the oppressed and the people who are like minorities. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also wanted to ask you because you 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 said this earlier, but Anna and Elson from Frozen. I feel like mo- a lot of the plots of the first two movies, um, the struggles that they go through are because they're orphans because. Um, Anna and Elsa were really close when they were uh, kids and they would play around a lot. And ever since their parents died, that made a wall between them and they had to go off on their own way and they had their personalities diverged. So I feel like that um, their being an orphan kind of really was a big factor on that story. With Elsa, it's interesting because Elsa isolated like they both lost their parents but rather than grow closer it pushes them apart i always find that so interesting like Mm -hmm. elsa is kind of a jerk to anna in those interwaning years like they're both going through the same trauma but but elsa internalizes it and blames herself whereas anna is just kind of like it's able to be a little bit more free by saying it's just a thing that happens i think another reason for that might be that elsa had powers and anna didn't so she also had to deal with that and anna could never understand what that was like conceal don't feel (laughs) don't let it show just let it go (laughs) and i haven't even seen the movies (laughs) oh micah 
Oh, that was, I'm pretty sure that was a direct quote from uh, one of the songs. So. Yes. Oh, yeah, because that hasn't been, you know, mainstream media for the last however many years. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, it's just so interesting talking about all these different orphans because they're not the same. And I think like part of it too, like especially with, with Superman, what you're saying about representing the downtrodden, if they don't have parents, like they, they become family to humanity. They become family to the, the whole community because who are all of us but members of a community and i think orphans are freer than most from branching out from their immediate lineage to embrace and care for and help and support uh the 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 human community at large maybe that's why so many superheroes are orphans there's also james bond now in the books i'm sure it's a little bit different um, and for different reasons i haven't read the books but you know here's a guy who he was orphaned um, he, the British government kind of adopted him and then trained him <laughs> to be a super killer, super spy. Um, you know, again, there's sort of a disconnect between morality and also he's been taught that it's, that it's for the British government, that there's sort of a, a grooming process involved in, um, doing his, his sort of patriotic duty, duty, but he's been given the skills Mm-hmm. to complete his assignments. And I don't know. It's just, I thought that was worth mentioning because he's a little bit different than all the other uh, orphans we've been talking about. Yeah. It is interesting to me looking at characters like James Bond and Superman um, where, you know, authors over the various years have really made an effort to show like how quintessentially like British versus how quintessentially American they are. Um, you know, it's it says a lot about sort of like maybe a nationalist perspective when it comes to what these uh, heroes are meant to represent. Yeah, definitely. I agree. completely. And, and I doubt that James Bond was nurtured by the government. <laughs> him. Look, they did not change his diapers. He, I don't no. know. Q, they didn't hug him. <laughs> Q or M. I don't know. Like I, I always look at, um, Q always reminds me of um Oh, Alfred. 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 Yeah, yeah. Ba- yeah, Batman had Alfred. That's fair. And I know just we've talked a lot about Luke Skywalker, but one thing that that came to mind when we when we were talking about that story is that Luke eventually finds out that he does have family out there, right? He finds out he has a sister, he finds out that he has a father that's still alive. Harry was put in such a interesting position because you would have expected at some point in his journey, he would have found out that somebody out there, aside from Petunia, was 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 there. Somebody in his family. And I guess maybe that's too cliche and J.K. Rowling didn't want to go that route. But I just find it odd, right? J.K. Rowling has said his, his grandparents died on both sides. So that's why they're not around. But I don't know. It, it leaves you wanting maybe a little bit more. I mean, the only person he's related to is... is um, through the Peverils, right? He's probably related to Voldemort in some in mm. way, shape, or form. Distant. So, yeah, yeah. It's it's just weird that he he doesn't find any other family member out there. I I agree, it's weird. But like with everything, Star Wars tends to do with you must be a Skywalker to have super ultimate powers, or you must be related to somebody else who had super super powers. I I get why J.K. Rowling didn't want to. And and quickly had to walk back the whole Mark Evans thing as being like, no, 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 he's not related. Because, <laughs> yeah, a, a cousin of Harry would probably be, you know, popular by association. But I, I think I think that also it speaks to the orphan's ability to create their own family outside of blood. And we see Harry do that with Ron, Hermione and others. 100%. We do get a listener email from Doug on Jane Eyre. Uh, He said, I don't want to be so brazen as to think the only one to reach this conclusion, but since I have never heard J.K. Rowling specifically address this connection, I had to make sure it got brought to your attention, just in case it's not brought up by every other one of your devoted followers. Uh, There's only one definitive orphan comparison for Harry, and it is Jane Eyre. Nice coincidence you were just having fun with gender changes in your casting for the Harry Potter TV series. Again, this may be so obvious, everyone knows it. But I'm convinced Jane Eyre had to be one of J.K. Rowling's favorite books growing up, as Jane's early years and Harry's are strikingly similar. Both are orphaned and taken to live with their uncle's family. Both are treated terribly by those families, especially in comparison to how 
their cousin or cousins are treated before both are shipped to strange boarding schools. Finally, Jane becomes a governess and Harry becomes an Auror. Okay, that's where the similarities end, but you get the picture. Love how creative you guys are getting with recent shows. Interesting. Yeah. I love this. You know, it's very much like what we were talking about a couple episodes ago about um, sort of recycled cultural narratives. I think it's totally possible that Jane Eyre, you know, provided some kind of influence for Harry Potter. Hmm. One other um, orphan that came to mind is, uh, well, a lot of Charles Dickens novels had to do with uh, being an orphan. And I, I haven't mm-hmm. read any of the books actually, but I have seen the recent David Copperfield movie. And um, yeah, David Copperfield was an orphan and he had to go through horrible working conditions in factories and shipped off from family to family. And also there was an, uh, about 20 years or so ago, Daniel Radcliffe played David Copperfield. Like, I think that was like his first role. Oh, right. Yeah. That's where he got discovered. Yeah. And Maggie Smith was in there too. I think that's how he got discovered. So I thought that was really interesting. Oh, amazing. Well, if anybody has any feedback about what we said today, send it on in. You can use uh, MuggleCast at gmail.com or go to MuggleCast.com and use the feedback form there. It's time now for Quizage. Last week's question, which famous British actor put in two weeks notice and quit a role they had been cast in for Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Ooh, a bit no of a, clue. Never uh, heard about this before. Really? I, I gave you I gave you a clue in the question. Two weeks notice is actually the movie <laughs> that they then went off to do. Oh, really? With I think Julia Roberts. It's Hugh, Hugh Grant. Grant. Hugh <gasps> Grant. Hugh. Hugh was cast as Gilderoy Lockhart <laughs> and left production. Oh, uh, he would have been great. He, he actually yeah he would have been yeah. great. but if you want to see would. kind of a uh, a lockhart-esque role look no further than paddington too oh god he's so um, good in which, <laughs> produced oh by god. harry potter producer david Heyman. yeah well and also starring brendan gleason yeah um, there's there a lot of harry potter actors in it too like imelda staunton as well yep yeah and, so uh, slughorn's in there too oh yeah so it uh was listed as scheduling conflicts. But anyway, correct answers were submitted by five people. Lance Dance, Port Voldemort, Count Ravioli, William Walton, and Jason King. Congratulations, everybody. Next week's question. Who invented the spell Mufliato? Hmm. Okay. Sounds like a great sandwich. <laughs> Come on down. Does it use a muffin? PLB. <laughs> Eric, the pizza wizard. Oh, Yes. Submit your answers by tweeting us with the hashtag Quizage. I'm really excited about next week's discussion because, Laura, we are going to be discussing the biggest plot holes in Harry Potter. Yes, and there are plenty of them to dive into, Andrew. (laughs) Oh, yes, Laura. (laughs) Yes. There's been a lot of discussion about this topic over the years online, but we've never really done this before. So I think this will be a fun way to... To criticize the series that we love so much. We criticize oh, because, because we, we care. Because we never do that, ever, <laughs> yeah, on the no, show. I think it is really important to be critical of literature that you love. Yeah. Yes. I don't think we're going to take all these too seriously. We're just going to have fun with it. Yeah. Oh, I, we'll try I, not I, to I, spend too much time on time turners. Yeah, I was going to say, is the whole next episode talking more Cursed Child? I think we should focus on the seven books, Mm -hmm. (laughs) primarily. I'm just saying Cursed Child is a big plot hole in and of itself. But uh, anyway, uh, no, this this is going to be fun. Yeah, and if anybody has any big plot holes that have really bugged them, please email them in. Again, mugglecast at gmail.com or the contact form or our uh, voicemail line, which is 19203Muggle. And speaking of voicemails... We received this chicken soup from one of our listeners, Hildy. Hey, MuggleCast. My name is Hildy, and I'm almost 14 years old and an eighth grader. I'm an avid Harry Potter fan and have been since I first discovered the series back in kindergarten. My cousins Maya and Willa and I love talking about the series and coming up with cool theories. I discovered your podcast when I was about 11 while looking for some new parts of the fandom to explore. If I'm being entirely honest, I haven't always kept up with the episodes, but recently I've been listening every night while getting ready for bed. I love listening to you guys theorize and share different opinions and perspectives on the series. 
One of my favorite parts of the show is chapter by chapter. And even though you're sadly finished going through all of the books, I will definitely be going back to listen to the older ones. I just wanted to say thank you for all that you do. Whenever I am stressed or need a distraction, I can always rely on you guys to cheer me up. So thank you again for creating a truly awesome podcast and for still being able to talk about things after 15 years. P.S. This is a theory of mine from one of your episodes a few years back that I have always wanted to share. I don't know if you guys have talked about this one on one of your episodes. You probably have, because then again, I've definitely missed a few of your episodes. No offense. My theory is that Voldemort cannot feel love because he was not made with real life. As you know, Merope, I think that's how you say it, Gaunt was used a love potion or spell to get Tom Riddle Sr. to be with her. That is why I think Voldemort cannot feel love, because he was not made with real love. He was made with a love potion. Let me know what you think about this theory, and thank you again for all that you do. Bye. All right. Thank you, Hildy. That was very sweet. Yeah. And also spot on. I think we addressed that earlier in this episode that this was confirmed. That, right. That, uh, you know, Tom Riddle's various detachment disorders are likely stemming from his creation due to a love potion. So thank you again for that. We would also love everybody's support on Patreon. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can support us. It is the reason why we are a weekly show and we're having so much fun. We're having a great time, aren't we, guys, doing all these discussions uh, post chapter by chapter. We're, t- we're mm-hmm. talking about all kinds of things week to week. It's been very refreshing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And we have yeah. some fun stuff coming up in the weeks ahead. I'm really excited for. We actually posted a preview of what's coming up in the weeks ahead on our Patreon a couple weeks ago. So check that out if you haven't already. And we'll try to do that from time to time. But we also have other benefits like access to our recording studio and early access to each completed episode of MuggleCast. Also add free MuggleCast. Plus, if you pledge at the $5 level or higher, you will get the annual physical gift. And if you pledge at the Slug Club level, which is the highest level, you will have the chance to co-host MuggleCast one day, just like Sham did. Sham, thanks so much for joining us today. You did great. It was awesome having you. It was really great to be on. We also have the bonus MuggleCast benefit. And today we're doing something kind of unique. So after we record this episode, we are going to record a trailer for MuggleCast so new listeners can get a short preview of MuggleCast. And for bonus MuggleCast this week, we're just going to record us attempting to record the trailer, and we're going to give our patrons the unedited version of that. I think it'll be fun and interesting to listen to, and we're going to be screwing up and reworking things. So uh, it'll be interesting. So that bonus MuggleCast will be available this week. Also, please do follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And I think that does it for this week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Sean. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.